I ask you to take your Bibles, or you can use the app on your phone, and let's go to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be there in verse 17 for our launching point today. And as you're finding your place in your Bible, I just want to say, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, good job. This past Wednesday night, we had our outreach for follow-up for our vacation Bible school, uh, families and people that don't have a church home, and a whole lot of y'all showed up, and that's what it's all about. Amen, church? Amen. Going out, reaching out to people, letting them know that we want them here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church to learn about the love of Christ. And another opportunity, this may take a, a moment, how many of you have heard of the Franklin County Agricultural Fair that's coming? It's taken a few. It's like, do I know or do I not? It's coming September 10th through the 13th. Here's the skinny of it. Rocky Mount Baptist Church has an opportunity to be at this fair where they say 30,000 plus are expected to attend. Somebody's excited about that. Here's the thing. Our opportunity is that we have a chance to have a booth there for Rocky Mount Baptist Church to hand out bottled water, to hand out tracts, to be there to just greet people, to hand out information about how people who are de-churched or unchurched can come get plugged in here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. There's chances to share the gospel. There is, you, you catching the drift here? 30,000 people, and as of right now, we'll just go ahead and say it because this may be on the podcast, uh, the only other church groups that are signed up right now are the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. No joke. But here's how this is going to happen. There's 30 hours of event between Wednesday and Saturday. We will not, we will not burn seven, ten people out. This is something that if we don't have the church step forward, we're just not going to do it. There's a sign-up sheet back here in the vestibule behind you. One sign-up sheet to where you can sign up for as many spots as you would like. We have to have two people to man the booth, and if there are women in the booth, I guess. And, uh, and if there's not people there, then we get fined $100. I mean, I don't know if the county is like... It, Getting old the Gestapo to come in, you know, and look and, and find people. But it's an amazing, outstanding opportunity to be out there in the community to let them know that we want them to come to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. There is no way you could create a better opportunity than this. So we basically have today and Wednesday to see what the involvement level is going to be. So if you are a member of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, if you want God to work here, if you want the church to grow, outstanding opportunity right after the service. Hopefully you can go back there and sign up and we'll make a call on it this week. Y'all all right with that? Once I said, if we just get a handful of people, we're not going to burn them out. This is something where we as a whole church need to be involved with because it will be a fantastic, fantastic opportunity. So I hope that you'll do that. And um, and if you don't, we'll pray that God won't judge you for that. So let's go uh, to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, chapter 3 in verse 17, we're going to talk about work and rest today. The Bible says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the God the Father through Him. 
Now this is Labor Day weekend. This is where we talk about labor and work. And years ago, this is where a lot of the work in the, in the farms and so forth would kind of come to a head. But here's something we want to get across this morning, uh, that there's probably two different types in here. Some of us struggle with different things. Some of us struggle with being a workaholic. Some of us struggle with being lazy. And what we want to look at at the Word of God this morning is that God honoring hard work and diligence is something that is combined with rest. Do we realize that hard work for the glory of God and rest for the glory of God both work together and should both point to God? Let me give you some statistics on stress. There's a recent study that says that 77% of people regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. 76% cited money and work as the leading cause of stress in their lives. Annual costs to employers in stress-related health care and missed work due to stress is $300 billion. 51% of people say that they have fatigue. There are 50% that say I have irritability or anger stemming from stress and work. 45% also say that they feel nervous about work when they're not even at work. And 45% also say that I have a lack of energy from work. And I don't know about y'all, but those statistics seem a little low, don't they? When you consider work and what it takes to survive today, often our focus on work or on rest can mess up the way that we view life as a whole. For example, there's an article written on August 29th of this year by Paul Bedard in the Washington Examiner. And the article is uh, titled as Labor Day Exhausted, the 40-hour work week grows to 47 to 60 hours. And by the way, if you're involved, especially in farming or something like that, you're like, I have never seen a 40-day work week. And the article says, quote, the old nine to five work week is becoming about as obsolete as the American dream. There's another another article by Bridget Schultz in the Washington Post. And the article is titled, Why Being Too Busy Makes Us Feel So Good. And the article reads, as for multitasking, one 2012 survey found that 38 million Americans shop on their smartphones while sitting on the toilet. You know you've done it. We all have. Let's just be real. And another found, that may have been too much. And another found that the compulsion, check this out. Another found that the compulsion to multitask was making us as stupid as if we were stoned. Then some of our historians remember John Maynard Keynes, the father to... What we could say, big government, spend it when you don't have it. In 1930, in an essay, wrote that by the year 2030, we would only have a 15-hour work week because we would have all the time to enjoy life and live virtuously and live well. Some of us remember years ago, not me, of course, when... Vacuum cleaners and washing machines and things of that nature. Time savers 
were being invented and sold to where average people could afford those things. And people were saying, imagine how much time we'll have to work on science and write works of literature and spend more time with our families and go on vacation with all of these time-saving devices. And here we are with everything under the sun. If you have a smartphone, you have everything on that smartphone except for something to stick out and brush your own teeth. We have all sorts of time savers, but can we just say honestly this morning, some of us find ourselves not in Colossians 3.17 doing whatever we do in word or deed and the name of Christ, but doing everything we can just to stay sane and not go off on our family because we're so stressed out because of work. And then the other side of that is the five o'clock somewhere mentality. You know people like that? When you're in the store, either checking out or they're helping you in the office, you say, how's your day going? Oh, got four more hours to go. That's a perfect way never to get promoted. Ever. To be that person. And you hate your life. You hate being there. You hate everyone there. In the history of the planet, no boss has been like, wow, you hate being here. Let me make you vice president. Doesn't happen. The five o'clock somewhere mentality to where everything is geared to five o'clock. Everything is geared to the weekend to where we literally live for the weekend. We live for that vacation. I have friends who live in Europe and a couple years ago, uh, Justin, my brother, went with me to Romania. This is before our Romania mission trip. And we're coming back through. I said, Wilhelm, I would love to come through because our flight's right there and spend some time. He's like, no problem. In 30, 30 days, we get a year vacation. And some Americans are like, that would be so awesome. 55% income tax right off the top when you make like 20,000 bucks a year is not awesome. Socialism doesn't really work. And the people who do think it works don't understand socialism. But we'll get on that here in just a few minutes. Aren't you glad you came on Labor Day? Living for the weekend, living to get off. And think about, let's just stop, like Francis Chan says, stop for a moment and actually think. Think about how utterly crazy and insane the five o'clock some more weekend mentality is we work 40 plus a week and honestly i don't know that many people who work if it's a full-time gig who work 40 hours the way the economy is people are being pushed more and more and more people working like full-time job part-time job getting home nine to ten o'clock at night it's crazy so here's the thing if we live for the five o'clock somewhere if we live for the weekend we're literally hating our life All between those times, so by the time it gets to 5 o'clock, by the time it gets to the weekend, it takes us Saturday and Sunday to recover, and then Sunday night, we kind of feel sane, and then it's back to the grindstone again. And for a Christ follower who doesn't live for work, who doesn't live for pleasure, we're going to look at this morning how to approach both work and leisure and vacation and fun stuff from a Christ perspective in a different way there's a statement that's actually in your worship guide we're going to read it from a scholar named john hammett he says the essential goodness and god givenness of work means we must not dichotomize in other words separate work y'all catching this as an evil necessity and leisure where we find pleasure and fulfillment stop right there isn't that the way that most of us usually view work 
and leisure. Work, bad. Work, necessity. Vacation time, good. Notice, he says, to demand that leisure, aka vacation, time off, compensate us for working hard is too to ask too much of it. Work, when done for God's glory and the good of others, has a measure of inherent reward. Leisure is not the reward we get for work. We do not earn it. Work and leisure are both gifts. So we just read in God's word that we are to do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a few uh, angles of work as presented in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Bible says the Lord took the man, Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now this is in Genesis chapter 2 before sin ever entered into the world. Some of us in here, if we could be really honest, we think that all work is evil. Not according to the Bible. It was before the fall, before sin entered into the world, that God actually created work for man. So work isn't necessarily bad. By the time of Jesus, the world was in a really bad place. There were, uh, there were, there was the institution of slavery. The Romans hated work and tried to take off work as much as possible. Their idea was go and conquer other people and slave them so they can do the work for you. And then, As the years went on, as time went on, slavery was eventually abolished in the Western world. There was a man named Karl Marx in the mid-19th century. Some of you know Karl Marx as the founder of communism. Karl Marx in the Industrial Revolution to where these large cities in the United States and in Europe had turned into these massive factory pods. The conditions were horrific. There was disease. Sanitation was almost non-existent. Workers were put into horrific situations. There was, I mean, no type of protection for the worker. And Mark says, you know what we need to do? We need to change the whole thing and say from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Now, does that sound good right out of the gate? Some of you are like, he's going to trick us. Right out of the gate, it's like, bro, if you've got a strong back and you can work and this person over here can't do anything, well, obviously you can help through your work this person. And Marx said, the theory of the communist may be summed up in a single sentence, the abolition of private property. So Karl Marx says that the government should own everything, all the land, all the factories, all the farms, everything. And that way, one person won't have more than another. Now, if we were for our Star Trek nerd geek fans, if we were Vulcans, always led by logic and not really having like a sin nature as humans do, that may work. But the problem with socialism and communism in regards to work is that it fundamentally misunderstands the fact that we are sinners. And if we can get something for nothing, we'll do that. And eventually when you take a pie and people start taking pieces from the pie without giving back to the pie, the system breaks down. And for those of you that paid attention in class or seen the History Channel, socialism, communism has been the most disastrous social experiment in the history of the world. I mean, more people were murdered through that. And by the way, not just the Russians in World War II, up to when the Soviet Union fell, but the Germans, the Nazis, they were the national socialists. It was all the same ball of wax. They just didn't like each other. 
And even in our country today, there are people, especially, um, and we've got people in this church, I'm sure, from every type of political background, but specifically the Democratic Party and the Green Party and rhinos, Republicans in name only, um, have embraced much of Marxist ideology to where the producers are taxed to give to the ones who are not producing. Now, I want you to listen very carefully here. The goal of communism was always so that the government would control everything to do with work, and it has never actually worked. Do you know why? Because Marx saw the problem. He saw the problem was where the ones in charge of the factories were treating the people like human garbage. But he fatally misunderstood what it took to fix it. Communism and socialism doesn't fix, it actually destroys. So through that whole time, there was a people known as the Jews. And the Jews have always been known for having a very industrious work ethic. This goes back to the Old Testament. And contrary to the Romans, contrary to much of the Western world today, the Judeo-Christian ethic of work, known hundreds of years ago as the Protestant work ethic that was very popular in the colonies here in North America, brought a people from nothing and allowed them to build basically a giant empire from nothing but wilderness. And so for Christians, understanding a biblical view of work, it's not biblical to have the government come in and punitively tax people's labor and say through that, we're being benevolent. The way that we're benevolent is we give. Forced giving is not actual giving, right? When you have a gun to your head and you're told by someone who has more guns than you or is bigger than you, you will do such and such. That's no longer benevolence. That's called tyranny. So as followers of Christ, I believe that it is very biblical for us in economics and military terms in relation to ISIS, in relation to uh, regimes that would take away people's basic human rights, basic economics rights. We should fight tyranny with all means. Y'all all right? Because it's always starts out small in relation to work. It always starts out, well, if we, if we can take more of what you have, it's for this great project and it never really stops. There's always a good excuse for everything, but there has to be a point to where people who understand to say enough is enough. And it's really easy. You put your tongue on the top of your mouth and you push out with air and it sounds like this. No. Whenever the government begins to take control, it's not a good thing in history and it's not a good thing in the U.S. of A. C.S. Lewis said, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its own victims may be the most oppressive. So Marx called us. He didn't call us uh, homo sapiens or anything like that. He, he, he called us homo faber in German. It means man, the worker. Well, we know as Christians, we're not communists, we're not atheists, but we know we have been created to work. And in fact, Jesus worked, right? Jesus worked with his hands. I mean, carpenter, and he didn't have DeWalt power tools. That's why they were so surprised that Jesus gave out so quickly on the cross. Well, all things considered, they say Jesus was a strong man, worked physically. Jesus works, so work is not inherently evil. 
Secondly, we understand from the Bible that hard work helps us avoid unnecessary temptations. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 28, the Bible says, Let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So let's say, for example, you are partially employed right now or unemployed. You're wanting to find a job. Do you realize that during your unemployment right now, your partial employment, you can have an incredible impact for the glory of Christ? If you're not at work 40 hours a week, guess what you can be doing? You can be volunteering. You can be at Rocky Mount Baptist Church every single time the doors are open. You can help out with things here. You can help out with ministry until you get that full-time job. And even more so, for some of our retirees, if you don't have to go in and clock in every day, what a great time of your life to be able to serve Jesus more. Amen, church? Work pointed to the glory of God can also keep us away from temptations, getting involved in the rat race. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. You know, see, in our culture, we applaud workaholism, don't we? Say, wow, look at him go. Man, that guy right there, he'll work like 70 hours a week if you let him. That woman, I mean, she would sleep at the job place if you didn't tell her go home and be with your kids. Our culture values workaholism. Our culture devalues those who don't work. But guess what? For a Christ follower, working to where we get our identity from our work and not wanting to work can be both forms of idolatry to where we allow leisure or where we allow our own successes in business to take the place of Christ. Not only does hard work keep us from unnecessary temptations, not only is it biblically good, but hard work also enables us to help others. To benefit other people through our work. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 7 says, Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Let me just see by a show of hands, how many of you have ever served in the food industry before? In the food industry in any way. Okay, um, I am. I always try, even if the service is not good, to love people and to be nice to the service. Can you imagine being on your feet that much? And the way that some people are treated. And I've always, it blows me away how people will treat servers. People in the food industry. Number one, it's wrong. Secondly, when they go behind those doors, they can spit in your food. That's a practical reason. It's amazing. And I mean, I've had friends who served on that. I remember in college, there was a, there was a, it was a speech class and this guy was giving this speech. I mean, he was just going off like red in the face and he was, he was a server. In this restaurant and being like, if you people can't pay a tip, you just don't need to, you just need to go home. And everybody was like back in their seats, like, is this guy going to pull out a gun? Like he had had it up to here. The Bible says that whatever job we have, if your boss is a jerk or if your boss is awesome, do it as unto the Lord. And this right here will change our perspective. Often we think I work a job. I'm my own boss or I work for someone else. The job is so that I can bring the bacon home To provide for my family. That is a byproduct of biblical work. But here's how it can be life-changing. When we understand that that job, for that amount of time, was given to us so that we could, yes, provide for our family, but in the course of that, we would provide a witness so that people would see Jesus. That changes everything. 
everything. It's no longer like, bro, like I really need that tool. I can understand I need that tool. And the boss has several tools. So instead of not, but like if I take the tool and I get caught, I get fired. Instead of that punitive type of reasoning, we say, you know what? If I stole from my boss and, or if I clocked out early, but I somehow figured it out to where I'm getting paid for not being there. I'm not just going to refrain from those things because I'm going to get in trouble. I'm living for a higher purpose. And it's amazing to see what people can do through jobs. I mean, like you stop and you look at a house that's being rebuilt. And you go in and you see the rooms that are still jacked up. And you're like, oh my word. It's like the Osbournes lived here. Like what on earth? But then you see the rooms that are, I mean, it's got design and tile and a new roof and carpet. And also it's just beautiful. Through that, if you're in that industry, man, think about the, think about the springboard. And this is not cheesy, but when you're working, you're like, God has enabled me to use these hands to build something. God is building us. He's building us into his image. If you're a teacher and you're teaching these kids and these children, you just understand that Jesus is the great teacher. And for our teachers, he's also the great counselor. Some of y'all get that later. When you think of of everything that has to do with being productive as a Christ follower, it points to Jesus. And you can have glory in that. If if you're a person where you have to fix things on your job, you're just thinking, even if it's frustrating, Lord, how many things in my life have been wrong that have been my fault, but you have graciously come and fixed me? And for those who work... And sometimes the people who work desk jobs get, get it kind of like this. You worked a desk job. Right? They get kicked on. For those of you that have worked in those types of industries, you understand the stress that can come from that. Organization is an absolute necessity when you are working on those figures and those numbers and trying to make sure you've got enough stock there so people can have stuff to buy, but you're not offloading of the company's assets to have stuff just waiting in the back room for no reason. You understand that God is the great organizer. He's the one who brought K, He brought order out of chaos. All of those things, no matter what our job is, we can give glory to God. Let me say something just for a moment. Often we confuse, uh, even when we're reading the Bible, work with getting a paycheck. If you're a stay-at-home mom, or if you are a homeschool mom, or if you're a mom who works part-time so that you can be with your children more, you know you could be bringing in a much bigger paycheck, but some of the most important things in life are things that don't bring a paycheck. Volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center. Some of the ladies at those places, they make a little bit of money, but it's nothing to amount to anything. But imagine the impact of volunteering. If some of you ladies, you you have extra time volunteering there, like my mom does down in South Carolina, and you have these ladies who come in that are like in tears saying, my boyfriend says he's going to leave me if I don't have an abortion. What do I do? And you can give them resources, and you can come on with the love of Christ, and you don't get paid a thing, but you've saved a life. So may God, may God break our hearts 
When we devalue the raising of children, whether you do homeschool, public school, private school, may God change our minds from always taking the job that pays more instead of praying and seeing what God would do through us. Some of the greatest things that we can do in life are things that don't bring a lot of money. And finally, hard work reflects the image of our Creator. Those of you who have seen the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a veteran of World War I, like C.S. Lewis, had seen all of the carnage and the gas and just the hellish conditions there, was an atheist. Later, he came to faith in Christ. If you've seen the movies, the Lord of the Rings, or read the books, you're like, man, this dude had a big imagination. Can you imagine J.R.R. Tolkien like in eighth grade? Like in gym class, just staring off into space, you know, getting pegged with balls. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm thinking of elves. You know, it's just like, what? If it's a normal person, we would like, that's crazy. But we see how awesome it is, the creation of that mind uh, with the world that didn't even exist. J.R.L. Tolkien said, because we have been created in the image of a creator, we have the desire to create. That is absolutely and totally biblical. So what about retirement? I want to give a word, pastoral word of advice here. If you're retired or getting ready to be retired, please don't take the bait of the world that says retirement is all about doing nothing for your own sake. We have all known people who have worked hard and have retired and have sat down in a recliner, turned on the news, done nothing, and they're dead in six months. Do you know why? Because they have equated work with a job. Listen, if you're a retiree, you still have work to do for Jesus Christ. And don't let any person, don't let Satan tell you because you are a senior, you don't have worth. In fact, you have more time probably than people who are in the full-time workforce. What a great opportunity to make an impact for Christ. So now that we've made it through half the sermon. Some people just got really nervous. I'm not even kidding. It's Labor Day. We're good. Um, truths about rest. No, seriously. Y'all ought, to, y'all ought to see what I see sometimes up here. It is absolutely awesome. I saw four people kind of do like that with the, the watch. Um, so we understand what the Bible says about work. But what about rest? Very quickly, Genesis 2. One through three. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work as that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, which means set apart for a specific purpose. Because on it, God rested from his work, all the work that he had done in creation. I know this may be a newsflash for some people. But in the Bible, there's always work before rest. Y'all know where we're going with this? If you're the type, let me talk to the men. If you're the type of man who says, I want a job, but you don't pursue any leads, you're the guy in Proverbs saying, there is a lion in the street waiting to devour me. That is uh, called a disease, and the name is laziness. And it should be repented of, and we should go out and try to serve people for the glory of God. We all clear there? We're not giving an excuse for laziness. And once again, if their job market is very, very small where you're trying to get work, it's a great opportunity to serve people through volunteer work. And it may be that God, even through that volunteer work, would provide exactly what you need. So little kids read that passage and they say, well, why did God rest? Did God get tired? Well, God does not get tired 
But what it is, it's an example for us to take a break. Being honest, I have the tendency of being a workaholic and working and trying to be productive. That can be a good thing, but when that becomes what drives you, it becomes an idol. And I don't want to be your pastor and be an idol worshiper. That would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? So how do we understand rest? Number one, God gave us an example at least once a week Take a break. Y'all all right? I know some of y'all don't want to do it, but God said, I set the example, take a break once a week. Secondly, regular times of rest, Exodus 23, 12, reflects God's example. This is where God says, six days will you work? On the seventh day, you shall rest. The people in Jesus' day got really upset at him because he was healing people on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, how many of you, if you have your ox in the ditch, won't pull the ox out of the ditch? Be like, no, we'll have to wait till he breaks both of his legs and then we'll have to kill him tomorrow. No, he says, if there's an emergency, there should be help there. Jesus says, man was not created for Sabbath, but Sabbath for man. In other words, it, the Sabbath, the rest is what God put into the makeup of human society so that we wouldn't burn out. The French Revolution, latter 1700s, they tried to throw everything related to God out. You know what kind of work week they went to during the French Revolution? A ten, a nine-day work week with a Sunday on the tenth day. Yeah. You know why? Because they said the seven days has everything to do with the Bible. Guess what they found out? People were giving out. Animals were getting injured. Everything was just collapsing. So they went back to the biblical work week. Let me say it, say a moment here. Um, I love sports. Uh, I love competition. But there's something with, with our culture today, and I'm not saying all of this is evil, but to where um, kids are in school, right, like all day long, regardless of what they do, homeschool, private school, public school, they get home in the evening, and then every evening of the week is eaten up with sports. Fred, we may have a lot less people next week. I don't know. No, seriously. It's eaten up with sports. And then there's travel team for multiple sports throughout the year so that most Sundays they can't even come to church. Number one, and we're not saying all of that is evil, and I'll give you an example here in just in a moment. But what we're saying is, do we think? Do we think about what we're modeling to our children? Because the culture says, even more so, if you're busy, like the article in the Washington Post, you have status. Sometimes those things involve us spending money that we don't have with a kid who's obviously not going to be a star athlete. It is so silent in here. When I still lived in Palm Bay, Florida, we had First Baptist Church of Jacksonville come down and help us out with a ministry weekend. There is a certain young man who's played in the NFL who was very involved in First Baptist Church Jacksonville, Tim Tebow. This was several years ago, and he was in eighth grade. And I remember going in there as a college leader, seeing this huge kid. Just like, wow. And they said, this is this kid's his name is Timmy, and he's in eighth grade. And all the girls would just pass by, hey, Timmy. I mean, just, and I know some of y'all ladies are like, what, what church is that again? I think they changed my membership. And he was there and served that whole weekend just as a kid. And you could tell me, this, this kid is wired to knock people over. You know what we have often in America? We don't look at how a child is wired. 
what God has created them for, often we say, don't worry about the arts, don't worry about science, don't worry about things that actually matter. Let's pound every boy and every girl into the mold of an athlete, and they're either just like as skinny as a real kid, or they're not built to be an athlete, and you got dad out there. I went to go see a couple of our guys play football, our peewee football last year. And it was my first time. And I saw, I mean, these guys were, uh, Zach and Tyler just doing such a great job. And you know what I did? I got out of the stands and I wasn't screaming at the other team. I came and I was like, good job, guys. I came past the original line that some of you know about. There was a lady who came and I think she must have been straight from Berlin, Gestapo. And she told me in no uncertain words that if I did not get back past this line, that the police would be called because last year parents were so irate, they had to call the popo. I mean, like, really? To where dads, to where dads were like coming on the field to where people felt unsafe. Have we gone crazy in America? Really? To where dads no longer say, son, look, you, I mean, you, you just, you're just not, you're just not an NFL lineman. It's not going to be in this lifetime. Look at the way you're wired. That's okay. I love you. Let's see what other things you can be good at. But guys try to live the dreams that they were never able to live through themselves, through their kids. And their kids are far from that. And we're gone. We're gone all day long to work. We get home in the evening and we go to sports till eight or eight thirty every night of the week. And then when the season's over, we go on travel teams the whole freaking weekend. And people wonder, why am I stressed out? Why are we angry at each other? Because you know what it never leaves time for? The word of God and fellowship with God's people. And I'm telling you, it is destroying families today. Senator Jeffrey, you bitter at sports. Two of my brothers played college ball. The other was being recruited until um, he just didn't want to play because he played with our brother who died from cancer uh, in college ball. I didn't play that way. So I'm, I'm raised... I'm raised in a sports family. I enjoy that. But I'm telling you, in America today, we idolize sports and leisure. And we wonder why we're so stressed out. Without taking into account the way our kids are even physically structured. If they'll be able to succeed. So Fred, it may just be us next week. Rest reminds us that we are not in control. Let me give you one more text and then we'll be through. James chapter 4 and verses 13 through 16. The Bible says, Come now you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, this is so convicting to me because I'm a planner. I like plans. James chapter 4 and verse 16 cuts right here. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Simply put, rest restores us. It's something that God built into every week for us to take some time off. And it's a picture of heaven. And Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 says that the dead who die in the Lord will rest from their labors. It may be that God is speaking to us through his word today to say prioritize what needs to be the priority.